Hey friends, thank you for being here with us. Hey, we've got a lot of things going on at Christ Community, so be sure to check out our website so you can see different ways to connect, events that are going on, groups that you can join, um, all those kind of things. And be sure to like and subscribe to this so that you have new messages that come into your feed. Hope you enjoy the message. It's good to see you. How you doing? All right, that's good. Cool. Well, if we have not met, my name is Stetson, and I'm really glad that I get to spend some time with you. Uh, my son, Edison, he is five years old now, and uh, he has gotten pretty good at doing something that's very frustrating, but it's kind of impressive how good he is at it. He does this thing where if he realizes that we are having a beautiful moment and we're bonding, he will intentionally ruin it because he thinks it's funny. And I can't complain because I have been known to ruin beautiful moments because I think it's funny too. Uh, this is a tradition passed down from my father to me and now to my son. So as an example, here's something that he's done before. Uh, sometimes, usually at night when I put him to bed, uh, out of nowhere, he asks a really deep question, which is really exciting to me because I love deep questions. And something that has been challenging about parenting kids that are the age of mine is it's not very intellectually stimulating. It's a lot of playing with toys on the floor. So he asked this really deep question, and I'm like, wow, this is great. And so we have this conversation, and, and there's this back and forth, and, and he's asking more follow-up questions, and I'm teaching things, and he's learning things, and we're connecting, and we're bonding. And I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And so as it starts to wrap up, and the conversation comes to a close, I'll say something like, Edison, I really love you. But that's when he realizes that we're having a beautiful moment and we're bonding and he sees his opportunity to sabotage. And so here's what I'll do. I'll say, Edison, I really love you. And he gets this mischievous look in his eye and he says, no, you don't. And, and he's not being like coy or bashful, like no. He's, he's saying, I have no love for him. And, and so I say, Edison, don't say that. Like, I do love you. And he'll double down and he'll say, no, you don't. You don't love me. And it's like, oh, I'm like, this is so frustrating. And I know he doesn't mean it. And he knows exactly what he's doing. He's trying to rile me up. And I say, Edison, stop it. Like, I do love you. And then he'll take it a step further and he say, no, you don't. And I don't love you. And it's just like all of a sudden everything beautiful about that moment just suddenly becomes unraveled. And uh, genuinely, I think this is funny. Like it's my kind of sense of humor. Um, but at the same time, it's not funny because when you love someone really deeply, it's risky. You never know how it's going to turn out. And part of me in the back of my mind knows that one day he might say those things and actually mean them and actually believe them. And that's, that's a scary thought. When you love another person really deeply, it's risky. You can get hurt. Um, sometimes, no matter how much you love another person, they might not return it. You might even get the opposite in return. Uh, maybe there's someone in your life where no matter how kind you are towards them, they're nothing but unkind to you. 
Maybe there's someone where no matter how much you encourage them, they criticize you. Or someone where no matter how close you move towards them, they just keep moving farther and farther away. Or maybe you have this like deep, loving, mutual relationship or friendship with another person and, and there's history there and you've invested time to, in, into, into each other, loving each other, caring for each other. But then all of a sudden they do something or say something that really hurts you. As if all that time meant nothing. As if that relationship meant nothing. There have been people in my life where I've thought, I'm going to win them over with my love, and it never happened. There have been people where I've invested so much love and time and energy and heart and soul into, and they lied to me, or they said or did something that like really deeply hurt me, not just once, but multiple times. When you love someone really deeply, it's risky. You can get hurt. And maybe you've been hurt enough by someone that you're starting to wonder whether or not it's worth it to continue loving that person. Or maybe you've experienced this so much from multiple people, you're wondering if it's worth it to just like, love anyone at all, if it's worth the risk. We've been going through the book of John which is this guy named John, his account of Jesus' life. He was there and he saw it all happen. And uh, we've come to the part in the story of Jesus where Jesus experiences firsthand just how risky and painful and hurtful loving another person deeply can be. Um, last week, we got to the place in Jesus' life where it's the last night that he's spending with his disciples, his closest followers. Um, this is the last night he's going to get to spend with them. And, and he starts the night by doing something so unexpected and, and, and beyond anything that they could have ever thought would happen that night. He gets down on his hands and knees and he washes his disciples' feet, which is this act of love that is difficult to accurately describe. Like you could listen to last week's sermon to really kind of like get deeper into it. So he starts the night by washing his disciples' feet in this really beautiful act of love, and it should have continued that way, but the night didn't go that way. This night, it should have been this chance to say goodbye and come together and get on the same page before some really intense things begin to happen. But we're going to see that things begin to fall apart. So Jesus, he's just washed his disciples' feet, and then he says this. We're in John chapter 13, and we're going to start halfway through verse 18. And Jesus said this, the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him, to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? 
And Jesus answered him, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. We're going to skip a couple verses here, but we'll come back to it. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterwards. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Jesus is Judas and Peter's rabbi. Uh, Back then, for a rabbi to invite you to follow him was this deep and sacred honor that very few people got the opportunity to do. And the level of relationship that was formed between a rabbi and his disciples was as close as it gets. Uh, For many disciples, their relationship with their rabbi was closer than the relationship that they had with their own parents because of the amount of time that they spent with each other. When a rabbi invites you to follow them, they're inviting you to spend every single moment together. Like they will live together and eat together and sleep together and work together. And during all the time that they're spending together, the rabbi is teaching his disciples everything that he knows so that they can see what he sees and understand what he understands and and, and know what he knows. And for three years, this is exactly what Jesus has been doing for Judas and for Peter. For three years, he has been giving all of his time and all of his energy and all of his heart and all of his knowledge and all of his wisdom to Judas and Peter. And after three years of doing this, we see in this passage that before the next day comes, Judas is going to sell Jesus out to the authorities, which will lead to his death. And Peter is going to deny, not just once, but three times, that he ever had anything to do with him. We call Judas the betrayer, but for a disciple like Peter to denounce his own rabbi was unheard of. Like, it's a level of betrayal that is not that much less than what Judas is about to do. Like, imagine that you meet two people who are desperately in need of love and guidance and direction, and you feel like you really have something to offer them. And so you invite these two people to come live with you, to like move in with you. And, and so they come and they move and they live under your roof and they eat your food and you found them work at your job so that you can spend as much time as possible together. 
And during all this time you spend together, like you pour out your heart and your soul and all of your love and you give them the guidance and the direction that they desperately need. And you do this for three years. And after three years, one of them frames you for murder. And at your trial, the other one, your only alibi, he doesn't even show up to court. How do you feel? To love another person deeply is risky. You can get hurt. And Jesus is grappling with the fact that two of the people that he's invested most of his time into, they're about to turn their back on him. And as hurt as he must be, with however he must be feeling in that moment, in the middle of all this, in the verses that we skipped over, Jesus says something really unexpected and astonishing. It almost seems out of place. He says this in verse 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I love these verses. They're kind of my north star. They make their way into almost every sermon that I give, including this one. But I think this is the first time that I realize the context that Jesus says these words in. And seeing the context that he says these words in, I notice something that I'd never noticed before. All the ways that Jesus is loving Judas and loving Peter in this very moment. Now, it's important to remember when he does all these things, Jesus knows what Judas is going to do. He knows what Peter is going to do. And he washes their feet. Like, usually when I think of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, I picture Judas in a dark corner, kind of like scowling. But Jesus washed Judas's feet. And he washed Peter's feet. And he invited them to have a meal with him. And he served them food. And he offered them both communion and said, this is my body broken for you. And the very first person that he serves communion to is Judas, which means Judas is probably sitting next to Jesus. Which means Jesus probably invited Judas to sit next to him at dinner one last time. And there's multiple times in this passage where Jesus is saying, one of you is going to betray me, but he never calls out Judas. And some people believe that Jesus is doing this to let Judas know that he knows what he has planned. He knows what he's wanting to do, but he's privately giving him multiple chances to change his mind before it's too late. Jesus knows what Judas is going to do, and he knows what Peter is going to do. And this is his chance to get revenge, to turn things on them, to reject and deny them before they have the chance to do it to him, to tell them that he's not their rabbi anymore. But what does he do? He washes their feet. He invites them to have dinner with him. He serves them communion. He asks Judas to sit next to him. He gives him multiple chances to change his mind. He loves them. And then he says, love others like I have loved you. 
When we hear this command, love others like I have loved you, out of context, it sounds great. Like we imagine Jesus feeding hungry people and caring for the poor and welcoming children and healing the sick and inviting the outcast to dinner. And we think, yes, of course I'll love like you love. That sounds amazing. But Jesus said this right after he showed love to the person who's going to sell him out to be killed. And right after... He showed love to the person who's going to deny ever having anything to do with him when he's in his most vulnerable and lonely moment. It's after that that he says, love others like I have loved you. Imagine again that you met two people in need of love and guidance and direction, and you invite them to move in with you and live under your roof and eat your food and work where you work, and you invest all this time loving them and guiding them and directing them and giving them everything that they need to succeed in life. But this time you know that one of them is planning to frame you for murder. And you know that the other one is going to abandon you when you need them the most. And you invite them to have dinner with you one last time before it all goes down. And before they sit down, you wash their feet to make sure that they know beyond a shadow of a doubt how you feel about them. Jesus loved Judas. And he loved Peter even when it meant getting hurt. And then he tells us to love like he does, even if it means getting hurt. It's one thing to love another person deeply when you know that there is a chance of getting hurt, but it is another thing entirely to love someone knowing that it is a certainty. That is a love that goes beyond logic and reason. And that's what Jesus is asking us to do. How? How are we ever supposed to do this? This last night that Jesus has with his disciples, like he, he sees things falling apart, and so he takes this opportunity to reassure them of a few things. Because he knows that when he's arrested and killed, it's going to shake them to their core, and he wants them to know that it's all going to work out. So he reassures them and encourages them with a couple of things, and the things that he reassures them of also point to the reasons and the, and the ways that we are able to love like Jesus loves us. And one of the first things that he says is, well, when he's arrested and killed, it's gonna seem like he's gone. Like that's usually the case when someone dies, is they're gone. And so he re reassures them by letting them know that he's never really going to be gone. Like look at verse 20, it says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. He's being kind of vague here, but what Jesus is talking about is the fact that when we trust and follow Jesus, he gives us his Holy Spirit, which dwells inside of us and is with us always, helping us. He'll be a lot more clear about this in the next couple of chapters, but because the Holy Spirit and Jesus are so intricately connected within the Trinity, if the Holy Spirit is with us always, it means that Jesus is with us always too. That's why at the end of Matthew, before he leaves earth, Jesus, one of the last things he says to his disciples is, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
So when he is arrested and killed, it's going to seem like he's gone. So he reassures the disciples that he is never gone. He is always with us, always helping us. And one of the main ways that he is helping us is he gives us the Holy Spirit, which produces inside of us the love of Jesus, a love that goes beyond logic and reason, a love that doesn't stop, even if it means getting hurt. So we can't love like Jesus on our own, but we're not on our own. He's with us, always helping us. But even so, even though Jesus has given us everything that we need to love like him, we're probably not going to do it if we don't have a reason why. You could buy me a top-of-the-line bicycle and one of those tight spandex cycling outfits, but I'm not entering any races because I don't want to, and I'm lazy. I don't have any reason to do it. You could give me everything that I need to do that, and, and, I, and I'm not going to because I don't want to. I don't have any reason to. Jesus loved Judas, and he loved Peter, even when it meant getting hurt himself. He knew what they were going to do, and he tells us to love like he loves, and he gives us the Holy Spirit to enable us to do what he does, to love like he does, but why would we do that? Why would we put ourselves through that? For me, the reason why is buried into the commandment itself. He says, a new command I give you, love others as I have loved you. Judas and Peter, they kind of represent two types of people that most of us have in our lives that are really difficult to love. Judas represents the people who are against us. Uh, the person who's spreading rumors about you, the person who's putting you out of business or gunning for your job, uh, the person who cheated on you. Peter, he represents the people in our lives that have just let us down, the people who promised to come through in some way and they never did, the person who says that they love you but they keep hurting you in some way. The person who says that they are your friend, but you found out that they were talking about you behind your back. But before we're too quick to identify who the Judases and the Peters are in our life, first we need to recognize that we have been Judas, and we have been Peter in our life. And not just towards others, but to Jesus himself. Like every single one of us, at one time or another, has been against Jesus. Like maybe you know that Jesus is asking you to do something or to not do something and you've just said no and that's that. Man, I can think about moments in my life where I knew Jesus was asking me to follow him in one direction and I just looked him straight in the eyes and turned around and walked the other way. Or maybe there was a moment where we got caught off guard and we were scared we were angry or we just didn't have self-control and we ended up saying or doing something that we knew would let him down, that we knew would hurt his heart to see. Or maybe someone asked us what we believe and they were really open to the answers but we were just too embarrassed to be honest with them. Or maybe we promised Jesus that we would change and we wouldn't do that thing again but we keep 
doing it over and over and over. All of us have been Judas. All of us have been Peter. We tend to vilify Judas and Peter in this story, but we are just as flawed as they are. All of us have been against Jesus before. All of us have let him down. And how does he respond to us? He washes our feet. He invites us to dinner. He asks us to sit next to him. He serves us communion and says, this is my body broken for you. He loves us and says, love others like I have loved you. Like I have loved you when you've been against me. Like I have loved you when you've let me down. Like I have loved you when you hurt me. Like I love you every single day because I really, really, really love you. After seeing that, like really seeing that, how could we say no? I was reading something this guy named Hedinger wrote uh, about the end of this passage where Peter tells Jesus, Jesus, I will die for you. And Jesus basically says, you will die for me, but not today. Today you're going to deny ever having anything to do with me. And Hedinger, he put this so well. He said, Jesus had to die for Peter before Peter could die for Jesus. Man, is that so true for us too. There is no way that we could ever give our life for Jesus unless we realize that Jesus has given his life for us. There is no way that we could love others like he has loved us unless we realize how he has loved us. We can't love Judas until we realize that we have been Judas and he loves us all the same. We can't love Peter unless we realize that we have been Peter and he's loved us all the same. And Jesus loved Judas and he loved Peter to the core of his being, even when it meant getting hurt himself. Even though one of them was against him and the other was about to let him down. And he loves us the same way when we are against him, when we let him down. And he asks us to love others like he has loved us. And he gives us the Holy Spirit so that we're able to love like him when we can't on our own. To give us this love that goes beyond logic and reason that doesn't stop even when it means getting hurt. And this is really hard. Like, honestly, going into this, like, most times I come up here, I'm, like, really excited to, like, share really good news with you, but, like, this is heavy stuff. It's like, oh, man. Like I said, there are times where I have thought, I'm going to win this person over with love, and it never happened. There have been people that I've invested so much time and love and energy and heart into, and I prioritize them over almost everybody in my life. And they just threw it back in my face by saying something or doing something that just truly hurt me. And in those moments, I think to myself, it's like, why am I doing this? Like, what, what is the point of all this? Like, what do we do when we love like this and nothing changes? Why would we put ourselves through this when it doesn't really seem to make a difference? 
Jesus knew that the disciples, they were going to ask a similar question when he died. Something around the lines of, what was all of this for? In, in this passage, Jesus kind of hints at the answer. It's verse 31 and 32. He says this, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. When someone is glorified, they are seen for how incredible and how powerful they are. And what Jesus is telling his disciples is they are about to see just how powerful God's love is. The Bible says that love endures all things, and what Jesus is about to do is going to prove how true that really is. Up to this point, up to this last night with his disciples, he has loved through hatred and jealousy and opposition and criticism and judgment and violence and hunger and homelessness, and he is about to continue loving through the betrayal of friends, through abuse and torture and even death. But God's love is going to break through And Jesus is going to come back to love even more because God's love endures all things. There is nothing more powerful than God's love. It's through love that God broke the power of sin and death. And it's through love that he invites all of us to join him in putting this broken world back together again and reshaping it and restoring it and redeeming it because there is nothing more powerful than God's love. When we love like Jesus has loved us, even if it means getting hurt, we can be sure of one thing. It is doing something, because there is nothing more powerful than God's love. It endures all things, no matter how impervious or opposed or unchangeable someone in your life seems to be to love, there is nothing more powerful than God's love. It changes everything. We love like Jesus has loved us because when we do that, it changes things. It does something. It makes a difference. I was thinking about this on the way here. I checked the mail today, and there were just like, I don't know, like eight of those cards, like this big. Man, I don't know how long it's going to be like this, but at least this election, it feels like a wound just got reopened, and there's just so much hate. And like half of the cards that I get in my mailbox, they're basically calling someone Judas, And we internalize those things and we think of the people who are on the other side of us and say they're betraying our society, they're betraying our community, they're betraying our country. Betrayal, betrayal, betrayal. Judas, 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 Judas. Man, this division that we feel in our society that we are so sick of talking about, on the surface, it, it feels like people are saying, if you don't agree with me, then I'm not gonna agree with you. But this is a theory, I think, beneath that, what they're feeling is if you don't listen to me, then I'm not going to listen to you. And beneath that is if you don't care about me, then I'm not going to care about you. 
And beneath that is if you don't love me, I'm not going to love you. We could try as hard as we can to get people to agree with each other. It's not going to happen. But what if we tried love? What if we got to the very foundation of it? Maybe this is a pipe dream. Maybe I'm wearing rose-colored glasses here. But what if we tried love? What if you love someone on the other side of the divide, and the more that you love them, is it possible that you might begin to care about them? And is it possible that they might begin to care about you? And the more that you cared about each other, is it possible that you might begin to listen to each other? And the more that you listen to each other, is it possible that you might begin to agree on some things and you start to see that that divide isn't as wide as you thought it was? When we love like Jesus, even when it means getting hurt, even the people that we feel betrayed by, it does something. But here's the thing. Here's where I'm not wearing rose-colored glasses. A lot of times when we love like this, we don't get to see it to completion. Like we don't get to see it make a difference. Sometimes we only get a small opportunity, a small window of time, a moment, a season to love another person. And when that moment or that season comes to an end, we might not have any idea what our love actually accomplished. Sometimes as powerful as God's love is, it might be too harmful for us to remain that close to that person. Like, please do not misunderstand anything being said here as to say you should remain in an abusive friendship or relationship. I don't think that's what Jesus is getting after here. Sometimes for one reason or another, our opportunity to love another person like this, it comes to an end. Maybe they leave or maybe it's time for us to leave and at the end of it, we have no idea what that love accomplished. Sometimes loving other people like Jesus has loved us is a lot like being an organ donor. When an organ donor dies, something deeply profound happens. Because that person died, they are able to give a piece of themselves to another person so that they can live. That is the gospel, like illustrated to perfection. And when this happens, when this person dies and gives a piece of themselves and someone else is able to live, when this happens, does it make a difference? Yes, like it saves a life. That is incredible. And is that seen, is it glorified? Yes, I'm talking about it right now to all of you. We tell stories about when this happens. Recipients and their families, they never forget this act of love. Every breath that a recipient takes is this visible evidence of how powerful that act of love was. A friend of mine works in a hospital, and she used to work in one hospital that had this tradition where if an organ donor died and their body was brought to the hospital, before the body was wheeled into surgery, the doctors and the staff would all line the hallways and they would silently watch as the body is wheeled past so that they could honor the sacrifice that this person was making so that another person could live. But as beautiful and as powerful as all of this is, the reality is the donor isn't there to see it. Sometimes when we love others like Jesus has loved us, 
it feels like we're giving a piece of ourselves to another person and we might not get to see it take root inside of them. And we might not get to see it make a difference. But we can be encouraged. Because just as Jesus said, God will be glorified. The power of his love will be seen. When we love others like Jesus has loved us, it does something. There is nothing more powerful. It endures all things. But I can at least say this. Every time that I have been against Jesus and he has responded to me with love, it's changed me. Every time that I have let him down and I've come back to him, and he has responded to me with love. It has changed me. In my life, God's love is enduring all things in a way that I can see. Jesus loved Judas, and he loved Peter, even when it meant getting hurt, even though they were against him and let him down, and he loves us when we do the same thing, when we are Judas, when we are Peter, and he tells us to love others like he has loved us. And he gives us the Holy Spirit, which produces in us a love that we can't produce on our own, that goes beyond logic and reason, that doesn't stop even if it means getting hurt. And we love like Jesus, not just because he loved us, but because when we love like him, it does something. It changes things. God's love changes everything. We might not see it today, but one day we will. So until then, as long as Judas and Peter are sitting in front of us, we wash their feet because the basin of water was already heated up for us. As long as they show up for dinner, we invite them to sit next to us because we are not sitting alone. As long as they are at our table, we feed them because any food we have to offer was laid out for us. As long as they're with us, we serve them communion because it was already given for us. Let's pray. Man, there's some questions I want us to think through, but I wonder if we should start doing something else. If it fits, I invite you to pray this along with me. Jesus, we are so sorry for the times that we've been against you. Maybe some of us are against you right now. We are sorry. Jesus, we're sorry for the times that we have let you down. We are amazed over and over and over again how you have never walked away. You've never let us go. But you keep moving closer and responding to us with love. So Jesus, for the ways that we have been against you, would you please forgive us? For the ways that we have let you down, would you please forgive us? We are sorry. 
So here's a question I want you to think about, and I want you to invite God to join you in figuring out the answer to this question. Um, Is there someone in your life who has been against you and your opportunity to love them is not over yet? Just take a moment, think about that, and just offer that question up to God and see if he brings anyone to mind. Is there anyone in your life who's been against you and your opportunity to love them is not over yet? They're still sitting at your table. Another question is this, is there anyone in your life who has let you down, maybe recently, and your opportunity to love them is not over? They're still sitting at your table. If you ask that question and someone came to mind and your first thought was, please God, not them. Would you pray this with me? Holy Spirit, dwells inside of us. Who is interconnected to my soul. And to my whole being. Would you please produce a love inside of me that goes beyond my ability to love that person? I have nothing left to give. But when I look down at the table that I'm sitting at, I realize. I have so much to give and I need help to do it. Holy Spirit, would you move inside of me? Would you give me the love of Jesus that goes beyond logic and reason?
Would you help me to be courageous and strong going into that, knowing that I might get hurt, but also knowing that when your love encounters someone, they can't stop it. There is nothing more powerful than the love that comes from you. So it can't come from me. It has to come from you. Father, I don't know who the people are that might be on everyone's minds right now, but would you give all of us this open heart of love towards people that maybe we've written off? Would you help us to see the people that you're doing something in their life and you want us to be a part of it? Jesus, for all the times that you have loved us when we've been against you, help us to love those who are against us. For all the times that you have loved us when we have let you down, would you help us to love those who are letting us down? Because we see the difference that it is making in our life. And our prayer is that difference would be made in their life. So help us to step aside and be a conduit of your love. Because when you love, it does something, it changes things. Father, as we reflect on these things, as we think about the ways that you have loved us and the people that you are inviting us to love, we take time out of our night to worship you.